it's a fact that I'm the seventh son. Welcome to The Social Minute, the podcast that looks at the social network minute by minute. Today, we'll be covering minute number one, which goes from zero to 59 seconds on the clock. In this minute, uh, we meet Mark and Erica, and they are discussing various subjects, uh, something that they will be doing for at least the next five or six minutes. Uh, And joining me to talk about this today is Gina Radcliffe. Hello, Gina. Hello, I'm so happy to be uh, the inaugural guest for uh, for the for the series. As the script, as the film does, let's dive straight in. Um, but before we do, let's let's quickly recap where you know um, David Fincher was at this particular point in his career. You know, he took a long break, and I'm never quite sure why. I guess he was just looking for projects after Panic Room. Uh, there was like a gap of like five years. Um, and after he finished Panic Room, uh, Zodiac came out, and I think you know. When people argue over, you know, what is their favorite David Fincher film, I feel like Zodiac is the one that kind of, you know, it's either Zodiac or Fight Club or Seven. Like, those are the ones that immediately come to people's minds. Uh, I guess most people would guess from the fact that I'm doing this podcast what my favorite uh, David Fincher film <laughs> would be. Um, you know, but we can, we can leave that discussion for later on in the week uh, in particular. But, um, yeah, so Zodiac was kind of very critically acclaimed. Uh, it didn't do very well at the box office, to be honest with you. Uh, it, it was, you know, um, like it made 80 million off a budget of 65. So I guess technically speaking, it was a flop. Um, but it was enough of a critical success, um, that, that, you know, he immediately moved on to, um, you know, making, uh, the curious case of Benjamin Button, um, which I think, I don't know, I guess divides people who are (laughs) fans of Fincher. Yeah, that's the that's the tipping point between. Uh, uh, I mean, I I am a bit of an apologist for it, but I understand why why people don't like it because it's it's very sentimental, and he does not normally do sentimental. You know, Paramount. I think. Uh, you know, I I guess they they weren't interested in doing um, a film about Facebook, um, but Columbia Pictures were. And, you know, at this time, I mean, by the, the funny thing is, you know, by the t- when Zodiac came out, you know, Facebook had barely like barely existed, basically. Um, you know, it'd been around for a couple of years. You know, MySpace was still kind of like the big social network at that particular time. Um, and then, you know, obviously, by the time Curious Case of Benjamin Button came out, you know, which was the end of 2008, I have a feeling that MySpace was, <laughs> was basically over. Um, and, you know, obviously, Facebook was on the rise. Um, you know, the, Ben Meserich, who had written um, a book uh, called Bringing Down the House, uh, which was made into a film um, through Trigger Street Productions. Um, he had started researching some of the lawsuits that were happening uh, around Facebook um, and he'd started talking to some of the people in that. Uh, I think one of the criticisms of, you know, Ben Mesrick's book about Facebook, which, you know, was is credited as the source for the script of this film. Uh, is that he basically spoke to Eduardo Saverin quite a lot and not many other people. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> the story is kind of one-sided. Uh, and that's something that, you know, later on in the film, I will certainly discuss, like, the, the point of view in the film. Um, you know, in particular, there's a line where Eduardo Saverin says, I was your only friend. And I think we'll find in the next couple of weeks, that isn't true. You know, he, you know Mark, uh, you know as portrayed in the film later on in the film he's seen as a bit of a loner but early on he's in a dorm with like four other guys and you know they're all quite friendly and you know he's going to i mean reluctantly going to parties but you know 
when you see the kind of auditions for people to join Facebook, you know, people are drinking and, you know, like it, it's basically, you know, the point of view that's put across by Eduardo is not 100 percent accurate. But, you know, that's that's to be understood, you know, because if you're in a lawsuit, you're hardly going to say <laughs> everyone was friends with you, Mark, you know, and I was the one that you screwed over. Like yeah, he was such a, I, he was I, such a good guy until. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I think the characterization in this film is quite interesting. And, you know, the knowing that, you know, the accidental billionaires mostly was done with interviews with Eduardo Saverin. I think to start off with, I think once once Ben Mesrick had that that kind of access, other people actually did start to talk to him. Um, but I think if I recall rightly, you know, it was mostly based off interviews of Eduardo to start off with. Um, and I think that colors some of the script just a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think some of that's also in the performance. Um, you know, I'd argue that really no one in this film looks that particularly good. Like, all of the plaintiffs look pretty bad and Mark Zuckerberg comes out at the end of it looking pretty bad. Like, by the time we get to this final, you know, the final minute of this film, I don't think anybody is, is really the good guy. Um, but yeah, so, like, the the kind of the adaptation of Bringing Down the House, uh, which is a book that I have read and was, you know, an entertaining read, and then when I found out that was being made into a film, you know, I was thinking, oh, well, this is going to be an interesting film because... Um, you know, while I do not care about gambling myself, like I literally have no interest uh, and I live in a country where gambling is pretty much as legal as it can get. And every single street has got like three bookmakers on. And I just, I just, 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 just I don't see the appeal of gambling at all. Uh, but I am a fan of watching films where people gamble stuff and, you know, the kind of the, the kind of cheating. I don't know. Uh, to me, like cheating casinos is always a fun th thing in films. Um, and so I was actually looking forward to the adaptation of that book because I was, you know, I bought it, I think, in like 2004 or something on paperback. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is going to be a good, like when I heard it was being made into a film, I was like, well, this is going to be entertaining um, because there's a whole thing about how they, uh, you know, they would the, the kind of the teams that went to um, Vegas, they would like camp cards, but they would have people would do designated things and they had like signals and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, this is going to like, you know, it screams like movie, you know, like everything in this book is really kind of, you know, kind of interesting. Um, and then, you know, I think the film that came out of it, which was called 21. Uh, first of all, there was a bit of controversy around the casting choices uh, in that everybody in the film was distinctly less Asian than the actual characters in the book. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not like that. It's not like that's something that Hollywood isn't still, you know, egregiously guilty of. Just you know, putting putting, you know, you you white faces on a on a story about non-white people and then trying to shrug it off with, oh well, people people won't go see movies about non-white characters. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, there was uh, Aaron Yu, um, who's an actor that I've actually seen in quite a lot of films. <laughs> like the amount of films I've seen Aaron Yu in is 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 quite odd. I've seen Disturbia and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, The Wackners, uh, the remake of Friday the Thirteenth. Obviously, yeah, 21. that's right. That's the, that's where I I know him from. Yeah, he was, he, um, was, he was the only non-insufferable character in the in the remake of <laughs> Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, and he's also in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street as well, which I also Is saw he? at the cinema. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll get to that eventually on my own podcast. <laughs> yeah, and also he's in Gamer, um, and uh, there's also uh, I, there was another there was one other film which I'd seen him in, but basically I'd seen him in quite a lot of stuff. Um, and he's in 21 along with Liza Lapira, but I think those are the only two kind of actors who are non-white that are in the main cast and they're kind of relegated to the side like mostly. 
Um, so like the whole point of like the, the you know, the, the, these being like kind of students, um, you know, from uh, I, I think it was MIT um, and uh, like basically like they they kind of uh, I don't know the, the fact that they were like Asian students allowed them to hide in Las Vegas. And that's what made the kind of story quite interesting, like the fact that they could fly under the radar. And so recasting them didn't make any sense because then it made them people who stood out. Um, so, but evidently, you know, that book being adapted by Kevin Spacey's production company led to, um, him being interested in Ben Mesrick's next book, uh, which was, uh, you know, the, the accidental billionaires, uh, which, you know, obviously was then kind of the source material for this script and is why Kevin Spacey's, you know, Trigger Street Productions gets a production credit on this film. So that's kind of how it's found its way to David Fincher. And now, curious case of Benjamin Button, as much as it divides people, it was, you know, a, I, don't know, I would say a box office success. I think it just about doubled its budget. Um, but more notably, it got, you know, uh, 13 Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture and Best Director for David Fincher, which I think is his first time he was nominated for that. Um, and then also Best Actor for Brad Pitt for, I think, the third time. I think that was in his career. And Best Supporting Actress for Taraji P. Henson, who obviously, you know, since doing that film has had, uh, you know, a really good kind of like last decade. Um, and it did win for the visual effects. Uh, and I will say this, if you if you, if you rewatch that film and, and kind of concentrate a little bit on the visual effects, uh, they are kind of flawless. And <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of interesting because some of that carried over from Zodiac where he had used digital, uh, you know, and CGI effects to create like 70s San Francisco. It's, it's kind of weird the amount of special effects that are in Zodiac. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then, yeah. There's a lot of camera, a lot of camera trickery. It's very, uh, it, it's very understated, though. Yes, nothing but CGI blood as well in that entire, entire, entire Zodiac, uh, and something that would carry over into Girl with Dragon Tattoo, where there are certain things that are done with CGI where it's kind of insane. <laughs> you know, obviously David Finch was in a kind of, you know, I guess on the upswing. You know, because once you get nominated for, you know, best director, you know, people are kind of interested in what you're doing next. Um, and he was going to do a film about Facebook. And, you know, I've covered this a little bit in the trailers, but obviously people were unsure of, as to exactly, like, what that meant. Like, what like what exactly is a film about Facebook? I think the great thing about the trailers for, you know, Social Network is they're kind of iconic, but at the same time, they don't really give away what the film is actually about. Right, right, right. You know, they're kind of the best type of trailer possible um, <laughs> in that... In that they just kind of basically, you know, you have kind of you have kind of people yelling things at each other, and there's kind of an idea of what the film is about, sort of, but it it's only kind of once you actually see the film that you understand how much is hidden in those trailers, um, you know, even the kind of the kind of climatic line of, um, you know, we're going to sue him in federal court. Like, that's delivered really late in the film. It's actually the final scene for the kind of Winklevoss twins. Um, but when you hear that in the trailer, it's kind of early on. So it suggests that that's what they do at the start of the film. And then that's the rest of the film is them suing him. When obviously it's the other way around due to the way that the structure is kind of done. Um, you know, and I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of love everything that is in this film. You know, there's so many kind of great performances um you know we can talk about a little bit the kind of cinematography and everything once we get kind of a couple of minutes in um but i don't know i just kind of i i i kind of love what david fincher did with this film because he kind of like when before you watch the film you're kind of like i don't know what this film is going to be about 
And then when when you see the film, it's so elegantly done and so well structured and every scene kind of has, you know, kind of propels the plot forward. And even these kind of opening five or six minutes, which is just two people sitting across from each other on a table, which is probably like the most like the most boring thing that you can imagine in a film is just two people talking across from each other. Although I guess my dinner with Andre, I don't know, made it kind of interesting. Um <laughs> You know, the, the the kind of the way that David Fincher sets it up, it's it's not just two people talking. Um, it's two people kind of setting up everything that's going to happen for the rest of the film, um, you know, and also a, a lot of kind of character stuff as well. We don't get much in this first minute, but by the time we get to the fifth minute, I feel like you've got an idea of what people are going to, you know, like the kind of character of Mark Zuckerberg has fully kind of emerged by the time you get to the fifth minute. Um, in particular, yeah. you know, with his yelling of, of you know, the letters B and U quite, uh, quite loudly a few times. <laughs> yeah, it's also interesting to watch it from the perspective of knowing more about who Mark Zuckerberg is as a person now. Um, like, I'd first seen this movie. I didn't see it in the theater. I probably saw it uh, maybe a year or so later. I remember I'd gotten from uh, when uh, I still was on the, the Netflix sends discs to your house plan. Um and so I, I didn't really – I mean, I was on Facebook by then, but I had not really knew who, who Mark Zuckerberg was other than, you know, he was the founder of Facebook. And, you know, in, in this – you know, when you watch it, he's, he's you know, a college student, and, and, you know, he's kind of a little weaselly. He's, you know, he's very much a, a know-it-all, an elitist, and, and you know, he does it in such a – you know, clumsy unsubtle way You're like well surely this person isn't going to end up being one of the richest men in the world eventually and then and in, in the end it's like of course he's going to turn out to be one of the richest most successful men in the world of course he's going to yeah uh well let's get into you know the kind of the start of this minute uh it's worth saying as well that you know uh in the script, uh, we get some we get some kind of color from uh, from Aaron Sorkin. Um, although I like the fact that he he starts out with the the notes. Obviously, normally most scripts start with just the words fade in, and they finish with the words fade out. Those are just kind of the standard things that you always put at the start and end of a script. Um, but here he says, "From the black we hear," and then he has uh, you know he ha he has Mark and Erica giving us voiceover. Um, and underneath, we hear the White Stripes Ball and Biscuit, uh, which is one of, I think, only five, I would say, diegetic kind of needle drops in this entire film. <laughs> Everything else is obviously, you know, the, the very kind of distinct score, uh, which doesn't kind of come in until like the sixth minute. Um, so obviously I'll talk about that once it arrives. But, you know, this is kind of the with the first thing we hear is the kind of opening guitar from Ball and Biscuit. And then over the top, we hear Mark Zuckerberg say, did you know there are more people with genius IQs living in China than there are people of any kind living in the United States? Um, and I, I like how Erica's like, that can't possibly be true. And of course, you know, Mark is like, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> there's an awful lot of people in, in China. Um, well, the, then, well, the best part—the best part about this this whole scene is you know, when they're having this conversation. It, it sounds a little lighthearted, you know. She's kind of, you know, oh, that's not true, and 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 you know. And then as the, each minute goes on, they're just getting more and more uncomfortable with each other. <laughs> and then this whole sequence is so great because it's it is it, it, the the bad date is definitely a a 
a you know, well-worn movie trope, but I think this one's probably the most realistic depiction because he's <laughs> he's not spilling soup on her. He's not like you know, ogling other women. He's just like he's not thinking about what he's saying, and and they're 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 miscommunicating with each other. And just the more it goes on, the more it just like you could. I mean, the body language in this whole sequence is, is so well done because you could just see. Um, Rooney Mara as Erica, she's just, you can see her just start to shut down, and it's so well done, it's so realistic. Yeah. Uh, famously, this opening scene, which is, you know, uh, I think runs to six and a half minutes, um, it, basically, it, it, well, not only does it cover, like, nine pages or something of the script, which is a lot longer than you would expect for six and a half minutes of just dialogue, um, it was shot 99 times, uh, th- like, not end-to-end, but you know, piecemeal. There were bits of it. You know, there were parts of it that were shot ninety nine times. Um, you know, so overall, it's ninety nine takes that make up this one scene. Um, and I think the kind of um, you know, Jesse Eisenberg had talked about how you know, like most people feel like you know, if you're only going to do two or three takes or something, you have to kind of nail it. And you know, with ninety nine takes, it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you do a bad take because. David Fincher will go through all 99 and he'll find the right one for kind of each line. Um, but the way it's kind of cut is is kind of, uh, I feel, I, I can't remember who described it like this, but they, they said it's like a game of ping pong where like this, the kind of the ball is the subject and it keeps going backwards and forwards. And a lot of the times Mark is kind of hitting the ball and it is kind of going off the table. But, you know, Rooney Mara doesn't realise until she kind of looks at her bat and realises that the conversation has moved on to a different subject. And I think that that happens perfectly kind of in this opening minute, because obviously, you know, Mark Zuckerberg asks, as we as we kind of fade in and we see them for the first time, um, he says, how do you distinguish yourself in a population of people who all got 1600 on their SATs? And of course, Erica is thinking, you know, they take SATs in China. And of course, of course, Mark is like, no, I'm not talking about China. And that's kind of just the first of like a number of little times in this conversation where the conversation shifts, but only one of the people knows that the conversation has shifted. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things that make kind of as this scene goes on, the more and more the conversation shifts away from Mark. And Erica is kind of like not understanding exactly, you know, what he's kind of talking about. There's a line later on that we'll get to where she kind of sums up what this is like. And, you know, the fact that, like, he goes from this this kind of fact about China to saying, you know, how do you distinguish yourself in a population who all got 1600? It's like, I would understand him, you know, I would I would be like Erica saying, wait, there, 1600 on the SATs. And it's like, no, that's not in China. He's like, that's I'm talking about myself now, <laughs> which is I feel like there's a lot of these cut this cut. They're kind of the subjects in this conversation over the next few minutes where it, it turns into oh yeah, Mark Zuckerberg's talking about himself now. He was, you know, he was talking in a kind of generality and giving like a, a nice little anecdote, but it's it's now about him. And I kind of like the kind of how things shift where, you know, Erica is still stuck on, you got 1600. And then Mark is like, you know, I could sing in a cappella group, but I can't sing. I could row crew. And it's like, you know, she she's like, you know, I, I she's still stuck on the idea that he got perfect SATs. Um, but then at the same time, you know, obviously he's at Harvard and, you know, uh, recent recent scandals notwithstanding, uh, you would expect that people at Harvard, you know, would have got 1600 on their SATs. And I feel like that's also something that, you know, when we get by the time we get to the end of this week of episodes, that 1600 is something that kind of will be emphasized, you know, uh, as kind of how he thinks. 
um, you know, and how he judges people is kind of based on that. Um, but I kind of, I kind of like how, you know, she is stuck on, you know, this kind of, it's always, it's almost like she's one sentence behind him all the time. Um, you know, uh, she's not, she's, she's not like, but she's not like dumb or anything. It's just, he's kind of broader. He, he's just sort of, after sort of talking to himself, he's like, he has this sort <laughs> of like, he, he kind of drifts off and it sounds like he's more kind of ruminating than, than, than talking to her. And then yeah. when she stops and when she stops and asks him to explain himself, he gets a little offended. Like she, she threw him off track of his, you know, of his, you know, pondering how he's gonna you know you better himself at harvard yeah and obviously you know he he mentions acapella group later on in the film we will see an acapella group you know and then he says i can row crew or invent a 25 dollar pc uh you know there obviously was i can't remember i think the, the name of the project was like one laptop one child which was something which someone from harvard had invented and you know uh, kind of in an effort to get the internet into schools in africa um and then this is where erica who's you know the first to bring the subject up says or you can get into a final club and i think it's interesting that she's the one that brings that up because then when mark repeats it she that kind of almost gives her a breather to say sometimes not singing in a cappella group is a good thing yeah she also she also tries to she also tries to make jokes and he just like it's it's like it, it's, he's like a blank wall. <laughs> he just it, it's it's like it's it's remarkable to have a character. It, it, it's hard to portray a character in a movie who who has no sense of humor. Not not in the point that to the point where where he doesn't tell jokes. He doesn't understand jokes either. And and he takes everything said to him not exactly literally, but but I guess seriously. So you know when she says. Oh, Oh, I like you know. I like guys who 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 you know who row crew. He gets offended at that because he's <laughs> he's trying. He thinks she's implying that that you know she she doesn't find him attractive. And even when she's like, oh, I was just kidding. He's just sort of like he's just a blank. He's yeah. He's like he, he, you can see him like mentally taking points off from her in his in his mind because she made a joke about men that aren't him. And the funny thing, is, of course, is you know when she asks about you know. When, he, when she asks about Rowan Crew and he says, well, I can't do that. And she goes to say, I was kidding. He goes, yes, that means I got nothing wrong in the test. So he he then answers a question from like, from like three sentences ago. And then that's when she kind of interrupts and is like, have you ever tried? And then, you know, he's like, I'm trying right now. Um, and that's where the minute actually finishes. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I find it interesting, like how quickly we understand that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is someone, I mean, he even says this is serious. Like he, you know, he literally has no capacity for kind of joking. Uh, this is not to say that this character, you know, is kind of like, you know, miserable or po-faced or whatever. Or, no, he's, he's just, know. he's very, he, he's, uh, he's very literal minded. Uh, yeah. He's, he's, you know, he's, he just, he doesn't have, I think he probably is the type of person who thinks that, humor is sort of a waste of one's intellect and 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 I, I i've encountered people like like that it's 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 not fun it's mostly not fun for other people i i don't i don't know <laughs> that the person themselves you know particularly feels you know any you know, regret for not you know being funny or enjoying humor it's mostly just makes it hard on the people around them literally within like 10 minutes of this obviously out of his bitterness and you know however this scene ends uh, we'll actually see Mark Zuckerberg in a situation where there is kind of humor, you know, like uh, face mash as kind of terrible as an idea as it was. 
uh, he he's enjoying himself when he's there with his you know with his dorm mates and you know like and and then later on when they're in California there are points where Mark Zuckerberg is you know is kind of in a jovial mood and having fun with you know the other coders that are there with him um like the I, I think this film kind of creates the idea that somehow Mark Zuckerberg and I should say that that's always in inverted commas this is not like I don't know that this Mark Zuckerberg is ever as accurate as the person in real life um, but like the character that's being portrayed here is like you say, he's a little humorless, um, but occasionally he will make like he'll make jokes, but they're not like, you know, jokey jokes and he'll have fun with people. It's just, you know, he, he he's not one for kind of just joking about stuff that he he personally finds, um, you know, kind of that he needs to take seriously. So, you know, obviously in the next minute we'll find out he's talking about getting into a finals club and he obviously takes that as a serious, you know, something that he should pursue seriously uh, and he doesn't want to joke about that. But, you know, there, there are there are moments in these opening few minutes where he does kind of joke about and later on in the film, you know, he has a certain sense of humour, um, you know. Uh, but I think it's interesting as well that, like, I mean, in the, in the script... Um, you know, Aaron Sorkin describes him as, you know, a sweet looking 19 year old whose lack of any physically intimidating attributes masks a very complicated and dangerous anger. Um, and I think that's kind of like an interesting description. Uh, although oh, I don't, yeah. I don't... You, what do you think in terms of like, like incels now and on? And, and I don't, I don't think that, that, I don't think that, that Sorkin necessarily being prescient, but, but that, that's a pretty accurate way of describing like a lot of like, uh, you know, something more virulent you know, star wars fans and and, com- and comics gate people you know they're always described as you know sort of uh you know in in real life they're you know they're kind of uh, you know un- unremarkable and and you know maybe they were bullied in school but they're just so angry they're so angry on the inside yeah and he just dis- i mean he i mean he does say he has trouble making eye contact and sometimes it's hard to tell if he's talking to you or to himself which i think is a little bit true but i don't think that description is completely how jesse eisenberg plays this character uh, i don't know if there's many times where he's kind of like having trouble making eye contact in fact i think there's times in this film where jesse eisenberg has a very kind of i don't know he has a very specific kind of like mark zuckerberg face where he has this kind of blank stare where he kind of stares people down uh, so i wouldn't say that like eye contact is something that this particular character has trouble with um but then the description for Erica is, you know, she has a girl next door face that makes it easy to fall for. At this point in the conversation, she already knows that she'd rather not be there. And her politeness is about to be tested, which I think is a nice little like if you're someone who's reading scripts, um, you know, I think that's an interesting kind of description because it kind of for the reader, it kind of sets up the idea that of what's going to happen for the rest of the scene. Um, but obviously, as a viewer, we will gef- definitely get to see her politeness being tested over the next kind of four minutes. But yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, the, kind of the little the little nods here and there to the like, you know, the idea of what is going on in final clubs and, you know, kind of uh, people who row crew. Those are obviously going to be two very big things that kind of collide. No pun intended there, um, you know, as kind of subjects in this film. And and, you know, so it's it's kind of interesting that, that Sorkin chooses to set them up. It's worth saying as well that, you know, the character of Erica Albright is based on a real person who was named by uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg as he was doing Face Mash. He had obviously, you know, his uh, his blog open Zuck on it. And, you know, the the kind of the archived version of Zuck on it. I, I, I don't know. What, I mean, many, many years ago, I had a copy of it. And in that, it actually names the person, and her name is not Erica Albright. And so, like, th- that person obviously was real, 
but you know this entire this entire date is you know is kind of fiction um and it's really mostly here just to set up the character of mark zuckerberg and some of the kind of themes that will appear later on in the film such as people rowing crew and you know trying to get into a final club um so i feel like that's about as much as i can say about the first minute of this film is there anything else that you feel we need to uh, cover no like i said i just i just love how you're you you get right away that this is a you know, a date that's not really gonna go anywhere and and yeah i i don't i would I, it, it kind of leaves you wondering you know is this their first date is there is it you know how long have they been trying to to you know limp through some semblance of that they're dating uh i mean she does later in the in the scene say she's going to break up with him which you know suggests that they are actually have been dating for a little while but this is just this is just a, a you know somebody in this in this relationship has figured out that it's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we'll get into that as we get into these minutes later on. Now, the question that I'm going to be asking my guests on a Monday is, did you see the Social Network at the cinema? But you already answered that, Gina, by saying you saw it when it came out on DVD. Yes, I I, I remember I, I I remember letting it sit for a little while and then. Uh, picking up and thinking, oh, I probably should you know, watch this at some point, and I I put it on, and I was in the middle of working on something else on my on my computer, and I would just kind of glance up and look back down and glance up and look back down, and then and then I realized I was glancing up and staying looking up for longer and longer <laughs> periods of time, and I was like, oh, this because I think at the time, even though it had been it got a lot of you know, a lot of critical acclaim, I think I had thought of it in terms of well, this can't be all that interesting of a movie. Um, I think I kind of just, uh, I, I try to, you know, after, um, you know, the following year, whatever, you know, you know top 10 critically acclaimed movies, I didn't get to see in the theater. I try to catch up on them more as a, as a sense of, you know, duty more than anything else. But I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. And I just, I, I put my computer aside just did just, you know, watch the whole thing. Yeah, I saw it five times at the cinema because... Uh, I'm a big fan of David Fincher and also uh, I saw it with uh, different groups of people so um, you know I saw it I saw it on previews I think like a day before the official release or whatever it was on like the the first time by myself and then I went back and saw it with other people uh, the irony being for a film that was shot I think entirely digitally um, and obviously, you know, has a lot of kind of CGI effects that you don't really notice, I would say. Uh, in particular, anything that's on any screens is digitally added in later. There's, there's no live, like, screens or anything. Um, I saw it at my cinema on uh, one of the few screens that wasn't digital. We did, I remember at the time, our, our cinema had finally started to switch over to digital projectors, and I think they had, like, I don't know, 10 out of the 14 screens at the time were digital, and I ended up seeing this, like, analog, like, all five times that I saw it. So probably did not do the cinematography and everything the kind of justice, um, you know, given that, uh, you know, obviously projection projectionists are a kind of dying profession, and I, I think that, you know, whoever was setting up all the digital ones was also trying to set up these. So, yeah, I, I once I saw it on DVD, I was like, well, obviously I can kind of appreciate the cinematography and everything just a little bit better. Uh, than when I actually saw it at the cinema. But still, you know, a really fun film to see at the cinema. But obviously, I will get into that a lot more as we go through the next 119 minutes of this. So uh, is there anything that you wish to plug before we go? 
Uh, well, I am the the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, in which we talk about horror movies according to the characters and the weird little details that really don't have anything to do with the plot. Um, at the time I am recording this, we have just uh, wrapped up A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, and then you know, obviously moving right into Part 3. Uh, I am also a writer for uh, the pop culture website The Spool, um, that is thespool.com. Net, and I am on Twitter under Porcelain72. And you can find us on MySpace at myspace.com slash the social minute or on Twitter at social underscore minute. And we are, of course, on Facebook at the social minute podcast. Uh, thanks, Ms. Ball, for being my guest here today, Gina. Oh, thank you. And I will see you tomorrow. Bye. It's quite possible that I'm your third man. But it's a fact that I'm the second son. Stick around, you figure it out.